Welcome to the What You Read Next podcast. In this podcast, your host, Lori Ami, will interview published authors to chat about their work, journey to getting published, and their book recommendations. If you share a passion for books and are always looking for your next read, then join us. Hi, Jane. Welcome to What You Read Next podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. So you're a popular request and you have long-term fans because you write in multiple pen names. So talk to us, tell us what you've been up to. Okay, well, uh, first of all, I should just like to say if there are any aspiring writers out there in your audience, I do not recommend the multiple pen name approach to this career. (laughs) That was not the plan at the start. Um, Actually, there was no plan at the start. So maybe that's why it happened. But for one reason or another, I did wind up with three names, the Jane Ann Krentz name, which I now use only for the contemporary settings. Mm-hmm. and my Amanda Quick name, which I have always used for historicals, mm-hmm. and Jane Castle for the futuristics. But um, the reason I don't recommend it to aspiring authors is in this day and age, it is so hard to promote three names. It is so hard for people to remember three names. I forget my own names. <laughs> Whenever I do a book signing in a store, I always sign on the page where my name is, so I'm sure I'm signing the right name. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah I was gonna ask you which one is which um and they all in some ways as I read your authors now for Gil Voss they're all set in the same world of some sort so there's like you've created a universe in your world of you know um so historicals there might be some crossover with the futuristic you know like so how did you come up with this world and how do you keep track of it you know the futuristic world okay those books are mostly set on harmony. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are the ones I write under my Jane Castle name. And they are <laughs> they are the ones in which the Dust Bunnies have pretty much taken over control of my entire career there. It's uh, as I was mentioning before we went on air, those Dust Bunnies <laughs> are all anybody wants to see in the books now. I, I really don't know why I'm wasting my time worrying about motivations and plot points and details of the world, et cetera, et cetera. All I need to do is keep coming up with dust bunnies and everybody's happy. <laughs> yes, I agree. I'm all about the dust bunny. As I was telling you, that was like, it was icing on the cake. I did not know I realized I needed it until I read it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, there's like 13 other books I can read about dust bunnies. <laughs> so. you, know, you know why I, I, I think about, I did think about why they would work when I invented them because I just like putting animals in books it's if, if I have room for them and um, and often they don't fit conveniently because of the plot it's like putting a child into a story when you're doing heavy duty suspense you know you don't want the child to be in danger and you don't want the animal to be hurt so they, they don't belong in every book for by a long shot but they do work well in the in the futuristic world because of course they are pretty good at handling their own defense. They are not. The, the saying about dust bunnies is that by the time you see the teeth, it's too late. So, so I don't have to worry about them getting little animals getting hurt. So, so that's. But I think the reason they work is because they're kind of an ideal, um, an ideal representation of our bonding with animals. Period. The fact that we do it is interesting to me. The fact that humans have have such a history of of wanting an animal in the house wanting a pet wanting you know a companion 
Mm-hmm. When you think about it, other species don't do that. <laughs> it's, it's kind of unique to humans. And I often wonder why we do it. Mm-hmm. And why, and I think it just goes to some kind of basic human need to connect with the rest of the world. You know, we're so used to thinking of ourselves as different from everything else on the planet. And intuitively, we know we're not. And the animal connection reinforces that. It tells us, no, you're not. You're part of the chain of of life. So anyhow, that's a long story short about why I think they work. But in the in the Dust Bunny books, they work because they're they got a psychic vibe. It, which brings me up to something else. If if you're interested, um, yeah, there's a long history of the paranormal in romance and romantic suspense, mm-hmm. and it's been going on for gosh, well over a decade now. And it was around before that, but I think strongly in the past decade. Most of the time, it deals. The paranormal elements are supernatural. Mm-hmm. I have never done that. I have never, I can enjoy a vampire book. I can enjoy a witchcraft book, uh, you know, a shapeshifter book, but I don't want to write it. There's nothing in me that could wants to tell that kind of a story. But I have always, since the beginning of my career, I have always often had a psychic vibe. Mm-hmm. I do like the psychic angle in the stories. And I, um, and, it, and if you're looking for shapeshifters, shapeshifters in my book, you're not going to find them. Um, but if you like the psychic thing, that's that's my thing. I like this. I, like, I thought they were unique enough. They were like, I think I can re- believe that this will happen in the post-apocalyptic futuristic alien world. Like, you know, like we're living in a different place. And I thought it was like, oh, like you each have like a different psychic ability, you know, and you're like certain levels. And that's how you agree and then you're always you know in the suspense of trying to solve a mystery you know like it makes sense that that's going to be an added bonus for that mystery you know so I think most of us um most of us think of psychic stuff as ooh, you know it's off it's it's fun maybe but it's not something we take too Mm -hmm. seriously but the reason I think it works in the books is because it's literally just one step beyond intuition Mm-hmm. And everybody acknowledges intuition. Yeah. We take it for granted. And it really is a kind of a psychic thing. Yeah. And our real problem is we don't listen to it enough. <laughs> because we don't take the psychic vibes. We're too modern for that, you know. Yeah. To, to treat it as any anything more than a parlor trick or something. Uh, but I think it works in fiction because people are happy to take that extra. Mm-hmm leap into the, you know, into make the, you know, this, the the whole fictional world works on that. Yeah. Yeah. It does work. And I think it's like, I don't know, it worked for me. I think maybe that's why this is so in tune with intuition. And like, that's something I trust. Like I, I have conversation about intuition on a daily basis. Like that's like a big part of like my own personal, like calm myself down process and so I felt like I was like what you to understand like you know like there are ways to like you connected with yourself and then something in a way the world connected to you like the weather channeling like it was like oh you were able to create this part because you just go deep down and you know create it and so it was interesting the fact that the psycho trauma the whole um the world like you to go to psychiatric and stuff like that is like you know like actually asking for putting that question about it um you know it's 
I thought it was interesting. So I connected. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, I connected with it more than probably I would connect it with other paranormals. Um, because I'm like, it's something that I can actually see as possible, you know, in this future alien world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also give the alien world, um, I don't do magic either. Mm-hmm. Everything has to have, for me as a writer, has to have some kind of possible foundation in mm-hmm. reality. So, yeah. for example, when I needed a source of, of power, you know, just mm-hmm. plug in cars and and yeah posters and everything else um i used amber yeah it's really souped up amber but it's based on the fact that amber does have electrical properties and i just spun off of that and the same with quartz we're even we're using quartz now for real so um so so that's how i i like to anchor my world in something that's got that possible reality to it that people can identify with I love this. And so what was kind of like your research to figure out like how do you anchor into reality while creating this world? That's I think the Amber thing came out of fifth grade geography. <laughs> I seem to remember something about thinking, oh, electricity and Amber, you know, and, um, and the quartz thing is because we're just surrounded by it now, you know, yeah. various kinds of, of glass and, and quartz and things. So, so I think it's just out there in the environment and um, so when you when you open yourself up and go looking for angles like that, they're out there. You just have to be, be ready to look for them. Yeah. Um, and you said something earlier I was going to get back to because I think it's important. And I think you were absolutely right when you talked about an author's universe. Mm-hmm. I think all authors have one mm-hmm. and they spend their careers exploring it. Mm-hmm. And there are core elements in every author's work that are unique to that author that they just are pulled to explore again and again. They mm-hmm. come back to it because something in them is that's where they get their energy from. Mm-hmm. And I think over a lifetime of writing or a career of writing, you look back and you realize that's your universe mm-hmm. that you have been creating and exploring and building. Um, it was a good observation. I just wanted you to know I, I appreciate it because I think it's valid. Yeah, I love it. I was like, you know, I love reading authors. And before olden times, when I used to have more time to read, discover an author, I'll read their backlist. And I love all the Easter eggs that they leave for, you know, readers. Because you're like, you're, if you're a long-term reader, you're like, oh my gosh, I know what they're talking about. Or so-and-so is popping up. And you're like, I know this person. And this person, and especially in romance when they're like together, and you're like, oh, they're, they're doing well. Like my friends are doing well. And so it's like, it's such a fun joy to discover an author's backlist and to just discover all these Easter eggs and specific things. And you just, it's a familiar face. It's like a comfort, you know, as a reader. We've always, all of us, you know, since we were little kids, if you read, or even if you just watch TV, all you, you're, you're drawn back to the worlds that you become familiar with. Mm-hmm. And it happens with music too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I'm sure that the first time people experience what classical music, it doesn't instantly become a thing. And I'm sure it does for some people, but for most people, it's an exploratory process and you get more and more into it. And you appreciate it more and you find more, you, you see the connections with it, rock and roll the same way. Um, and, and I think that we just are, are attracted to worlds that we become familiar with and enjoy 
and then we go back to them. And I think it works in reverse too. If you really can't stand that sound of music, that kind of music, not to, not the sound of music, I wouldn't diss that at all. <laughs> um, but if you're you're not going to go back to it, it's not something you're going to play over and over again. And if you really don't respond to an author's world, maybe it's too brutal, maybe it's too scary, maybe it's too sweet, you know, kind of boring for you, whatever. You're not going back. So the authors you're going to go back to again and again are the ones who are building a world that you enjoy entering. Yes. Yes. Well, I love enjoying your world and I'm excited to talk to check out Amanda Quick's, you know, the Arcane Society, you know, <laughs> because they didn't mention, it's like funny enough, like things are getting mentioned here in this future world. And then they come back to before, you know, before times, you know, so. That, that was one of my smarter moves. <laughs> Unlike the multiple pen name move, which was not smart, one of my smarter moves. Um, coming up with the Arcane Society and the Jones family, which have gone mm -hmm. through all three of my universes or my worlds now, um, that, that was just a lot of fun for me at first. But over time, I realized it works for readers too. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because it's like, I don't know. I, I like to, I'm nosy. <laughs> like I want to know everything about it. Like once I discover something, I'm like, I want to know all about it, you know? <laughs> so if you can spill the tea from the olden times to the contemporary, to the future, like this is great. <laughs> like, you know, a friend of mine, uh, Victoria Thompson, who writes his um, historical mysteries, mm -hmm. uh, the gaslight mysteries. Yeah. Okay. Um, she points out that the one, one observation you can make about readers everywhere, all readers, is that they are innately curious. They mm -hmm. are looking for something when they go into a book. Mm -hmm. It's not the kind of entertainment where you can just flop back and let it come at you. You have to engage in the book, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, mysteries, historicals, whatever. Um, and that... That fundamental element is human curiosity. We want to know something, even if it's just about a fictional world that will never take place. Something in us wants to know about it. It's that curiosity factor that makes readers, I think. Yes, I think so, too. I think that's like, why do you read? Like you read to just to discover something, to figure something out, to travel outside of your home, you know, to imagine a world, to cope with like anxiety, you know, and so... I think reading and discovering something and just it I think there's something to be said about like the idea of like page turning like you can't stop reading <laughs> you know get <laughs> so the sad thing is um not a, not everyone got the gift of being able to enjoy reading fiction it's mm. it's kind of we're, those of us who got that gift are just all we can do is be grateful mm -hmm. because you know out there in the world not everybody yeah <laughs> not everybody reads for pleasure they might read for other reasons you know they and maybe that's their version of pleasure maybe i shouldn't refine it so much but but when it comes to fiction that is not everybody's cup of tea and i think those of us who have learned to enjoy it um that's a gift that we got yeah yeah and my 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 family, I'm the only, my grandma was a reader, but then I became a reader like in 11th, when I was 11. And so, and I was the only reader in, in my family and my community family. So when I was like, we would go on 
you know, trips and stuff like that. Disney World is a very well-known trip that I took that I just, I was stuck in my nose in my book. <laughs> I was like, I was in white. I was like, okay, reading the book. You know, like that was like my escape. Like it was like what, how I cope with like the chaos around me. And so I found it something soothing. Like it helped me kind of like self-soothe and try to just try to deal with the life, you know, how crazy life was. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And I know other people may find it in TV, they may find it in movies, music, and other stuff. But I'm grateful for reading to be that source of, you know, of pleasure. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. So let's chat about Gilbus because we talked about the world, we talked about some of the characters. So let's chat about what's the elevator pitch for Gilbus. Okay. <laughs> The thing I do the worst of all in this business is make the elevator pitch. But I, <laughs> Guild Boss is set in Illusion Town, mm-hmm. which is basically Las Vegas on Harmony, mm-hmm. only way more weird. <laughs> yeah. And also there are, there's a dust buddy. <laughs> there's also pizza. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <What else? all laughs> that was an interesting combination of all of pizza. I was like, <laughs> the pizza. Uh, cheese and olive pizza. Yeah, that's my favorite. That's why it's in the book. Um, But it's basically romantic suspense. Everything I write is romantic suspense. It's just set in different worlds. Mm -hmm. If you like my kind of plots, if you like my kind of suspense, my kind of romance, you'll find it in all three of my worlds, all three of my names. Because that is my core story. I have been writing it in one one variation or another for my whole career and I don't see it ever stopping and it could be because I grew up on Nancy Drew <laughs> maybe it was just say it wasn't Nancy Drew who sorry <laughs> I, I may have been doomed um the other author I look back on years ago when I was a, a kid um Andre Norton was a science fiction writer but she at the time, the, I couldn't figure out if it was a male or female, because in those days, if you wrote science fiction, you had to have a male name. Mm-hmm. But I always had my suspicions. And sure enough, it turned out to be a woman. Because it was just a bit of a, there, A, there was a psychic vibe in her books, and but there was always the animals. And there was always a hint of romance. And that, so I, then the next one I discovered who with, combined it beautifully for one book. Mm-hmm. And then she moved on to Dragons, was um, Anne McCaffrey. She wrote a book that literally changed my life. When I was 19 years old, I came across a book called Restore, which was what we would call today probably the very first novel of romantic suspense Mm -hmm. in the future, in a futuristic setting with a true character that we would recognize as a modern hero and a modern heroine except they're on another planet. And I never forgot that book. You know, here, all these years later, I can still remember how thinking, this is the kind of book I want to read. And then later, when I started writing, it was the kind of book I wanted to write. I wanted that same punch. So so Anne McCaffrey, Andre Norton, and Nancy Drew. <laughs> I'd say they were my formative, my formative literature. I loved it. You know, I had a feeling when I read your books, and this is a sense that I got, I think it's because it's tremendous sense, and I don't read that much often, is that I can read it in like half a book in one sitting, and I'm just like, I'm 
I want to go to bed, but I still want to know what happened. And so there's like this like sense of like, I want to know what happens, you know? <laughs> and so that's a beauty as like someone who's like, who takes a, take some time to read the books, like being able to like sit down and be like, okay, and just the page just keeps going and going. And you're like, oh gosh, I want to know, but I need to go to bed, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Well, that's the way I think we all like to read is get, get sucked in and not really want to yeah. go away until it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, not everybody will say that. And I do appreciate it because here's the thing about reading. We do not all respond to the same books the same way. It's very, very particular to each person, you know, and I, th I think that's another interesting thing about it probably more people would agree on a movie one way or the other yeah. than would, 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 would agree on a book. And I think it's because in a book, you bring something to it and you take something away and it's uniquely dependent on you. So, yeah. What you bring and what you take away. Yeah. I think at the core of the books, if, if you're going to come back to that author again and again, it probably, it's probably because the underlying moral compass of the book fits with your underlying moral compass um i can't prove that but it seems that's the way i read if somebody offends my yeah uh, on some level it doesn't resonate with the way i think things should be <laughs> in terms of right and wrong mm -hmm. um i probably won't go back to that author again and again yeah no i agree i think that's like i think it's looking at it looking at the stuff more more deeper and to see like is it is it does it feel right you know <laughs> does your intuition tells you this is something you want to keep reading or you know maybe you should pass it <laughs> you know yeah. like yeah. is your mind telling you like ah, you know like maybe it's problematic what are you like your intuition is like no like this is a no then it's a no you know and not every author is for you like that's the beauty of it and there's plenty of stuff out there you know so um, absolutely absolutely yeah so speaking of books, so what kind of books do you read? I, I look for what I, I like to read, the same thing I like to write, uh, mm -hmm. romantic suspense. That's for, for the fiction. Um, I also have a big interest in um, nature, his, natural history books. I love, you know, I finished a wonderful book on mushrooms earlier this year, Entangled Lives, and I, and I read book the last book I read on octopuses, you know, I, I, that, but that's the, the nonfiction side. And I often get ideas from the nonfiction. Mm -hmm. I don't get too many ideas from my plots when I'm reading other people's fiction. I don't know why, but I can pick them up like crazy when I read nonfiction. So mm -hmm. that's just a, an aside on that. But when I read fiction, I like, I like real suspense, not just kind of too cutesy I like I like an element of real suspense in the books um, and I like that relationship mm -hmm. and I like the idea that these two people have to work together in order to survive that's mm -hmm. kind of my core story and that's what I enjoy reading um, so I, I guess you could say I like to read what I like to write 
<laughs> I like it. And I love the fact that you get inspired by nonfiction because I feel like that's where sometimes the core of the story, like, and I guess it's a, it's a source of truth. Like it may be some reality is something that you read and you can like explore it even further and create it in your world, you know, and take it to the next level. <laughs> yeah. I really get a lot of plot points, a lot of jumping off uh, places for the, for the plot of my books. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll pick, I'll pick up something in, from in the nonfiction world, it's kind of works for me. Oh, I love this. I love this. And I love the facts like octopus and mushrooms and you never know, there's a plot there. <laughs> you bet, you bet. You'll be seeing much. And I, in fact, mushrooms show up in um, my January re- release, which is under my Jane Ann Krentz name. It's the third book in the Fog Lake series. Mm-hmm. And it's called Lightning in a Mirror. There'll be a mushroom in there. <laughs> Watch for the mushroom. <laughs> Any other new releases are coming up other than Gil Boss and Lightning Mirror? Um, um, and then in the spring will be my Amanda Quick. I'm basically this year it'll be three books. The, uh, the Gil Boss under my Jane Castle name next month. month yeah. yeah. November. Yeah. Um, January will be the next book in the Fog Lake series, mm-hmm. as I was just saying, Lightning and Mirror, and then in May be the next Amanda Quick, which is When She Dreams. Ooh. And that's, the, the Amanda Quick books are now in the 1930s, glam, California, mm-hmm. uh, kind of that uh, that glamorous, mythical California, not the real, <laughs> not the real <laughs> depression or <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. I, I, when I write the 1930s, I am writing the myth of the 1930s and the fun part of it, the story of the 1930s. So. I love this. And um, so tell us where you can find you online. Everywhere, but I don't do it well. So I'm just... That's okay. <laughs> I probably, I'm most consistent in it because it's the oldest technology for me The in Facebook. Mm-hmm. So Jane Ann Krentz on Facebook is is where I figured out what I, I, I now don't do that. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I don't know quite what to do with it. I just put up stuff, put up pictures, I guess. And um, that's about it really. In, yeah, Instagram and, and Facebook. And of course my website, I consider that my home on the web and that's my library in a sense. If you want to find out anything about my backlist, if you want to know, anything about me, um, who wouldn't? <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty boring. Um, if you wanna look up books by series, because I've been writing long enough now that I've got some long running series, some of which have ended, but if you're, if you're a series reader, and a lot of people are, um, the books are sorted by series on, uh, on my website, and that's just janeannkrentz.com. Remember Jane with a Y. Yes. <laughs> awesome, Jane. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. If you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to share with friends, subscribe, rate, and review the show. This is the easiest way to support the podcast. Today's episode's partner is Libra FM. If you're an audiobook listener, then you should add Libra FM as your go-to source for paid audiobooks. Libra FM makes it possible for you to buy audiobooks to your local bookstore. Memberships start at $14.95, and they also have great sales for women's audiobooks each month for $3.99, thanks to the Kiss Club. 
To sign up for Libro FM, please visit whattoreadnextblog.com slash LibroFM. You will receive a free audiobook when you sign up for a monthly subscription. If you purchase a subscription through our link, you will be supporting the podcast at no cost to you. The What to Read Next podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Please visit frolic.media slash podcast to discover new shows to tune in. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.